Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance is like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you so. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Welcome again to Villa's Grace Church. Resurrection Sunday. Happy Resurrection Sunday. The tagline that we are using this morning. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Before we begin, I just want to share something that I came across on social media this week, and I, I want to share it with, with us here because I think most of us will understand the historical reference that's being made. Some of us may not understand the cultural reference that happened back in the 70s, but this is from Charles Colson, and, and he wrote this. I'm going to read it verbatim. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. That's the cultural reference, Watergate. Some of you know what Watergate is, and some of you do not. How? how? How did Watergate prove it to him? He says, because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if, they, if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Isn't that amazing? The resurrection is a fact. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here to worship you through song and the proclamation of your word, Lord, on this Resurrection Sunday. I pray that we can be a church, a body of believers united in you to share our faith in what you have done, the fact that you have left the cross empty. We pray to be able to share that message with the world that you place us in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a article in Time Magazine some, some years ago, and basically it had this one statement within the article to, to kind of define everything. I just want to read this for you. It basically stated this. It said, people enjoy movies, books, or other stories more when they know the ending ahead of time. So basically it's like, if you know the ending ahead of time, you're going to enjoy the story more. Now something that this made me think about, have you ever noticed how young children can watch the same movie over and over and over again? 
Have you ever noticed like when we watch a movie once that we like, we're like, yeah, I would watch that a second time. Sometimes I tell people, they'll ask me, hey, did you see that new movie that came out? And I'm like, yeah, it was good. It's worth seeing. I don't know if I'd see it a second time. But if we like something, if it resonates with us, we tend to like it even more because we know what's going to happen. See, this particular experiment done by Time Magazine gave volunteers three stories of different genres. And basically what they did is they hid spoilers in separate paragraphs for each story. So one paragraph had a spoiler that was actually separated into a other paragraph. One story had the spoiler put into the first paragraph of the story, and then the third story had no spoiler whatsoever. So they had no idea in that third one what was going to happen, but the first two, they just did it different ways, but the person reading that story each and every time knew exactly how the end was going to happen. Participants tended to appreciate the stories where they knew that ending. The study concluded that viewers are more likely to enjoy stories when they know the ending. That was really just the overall synopsis of what happened in this. But they didn't want to wait. Because let's face it, you know, they didn't want to wait to find out so-and-so killed so-and-so with that thing or the other. They just enjoyed the story more when they knew what was going to happen. Brothers and sisters, again, he is not here. He has risen like he said, spoiler alert, we already know the ending. I want to read one verse to you really quick from our verses this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. Why an empty cross? Why an empty cross? We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. We're looking at verses 20 through 28. It is Resurrection Sunday, and we are answering a very simple question, and it is the title of our sermon. Why an empty cross. What is the significance of having the cross be empty? So let's just go ahead and get into our text and answer that question. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Amen. As we look at these 
nine verses this morning, we're going to put them into this one sentence, and this sentence has everything to do with Jesus and his resurrection, and it states this, Jesus is the resurrected Redeemer who redeemed for the redemption of his kingdom. Jesus is the resurrected Redeemer who redeemed for the redemption of his kingdom. As we begin with our our first set of verses here, starting with verse 20, before we begin, we must remember this one fact. There were more people in the church in Corinth who were denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus. There are people today who still claim to be Christian and deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, they say you can believe in a resurrection even, if, even though it maybe wasn't bodily. This is why Paul begins verse 20 by saying, what does he say? He says, but what? Charles Colston, he, 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 he said the same thing, didn't he? He said it was a fact. What's Paul saying? But in fact, what? Christ has been raised from the dead. Spoiler alert. Matthew 28, 6, once again, he is not here. He has risen as he said. The fact that Jesus was resurrected is of great significance for us believers. That's what we believe in, the resurrection. No resurrection, no bodily, physical resurrection, no Christianity, no hope of a future. Romans 10.9 tells us that we should actually be believing in this and, and hold it up to high significance within our faith because what does it say in 10.9? It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our faith in the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of the gospel message. The whole entire gospel message, the good news of salvation, is hinged to the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the cross. Brothers and sisters, these nine verses can be broken into three simple categories. And that's precisely what we're going to do this morning. And they go with the main idea of these nine verses. The three categories that we're really going to be looking at this morning would be the Redeemer, the Redeemed, and the Redemption. First, let's begin with the Redeemer. Jesus was resurrected, as it says right here, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, first fruits actually represents the first fruits of a crop that's about to be harvested. It's a little bit of a hint of what's to come. First fruits signals that harvest that's yet to come. And the harvest to come, it's right here in our first verse. See, this is a reference to the rest who have what? Fallen asleep. Those who believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, they are the ones who have fallen asleep. Now, if we die before Jesus returns, we will fall asleep too. We're going we're gonna to get to that, but we still need to ask that question because we're answering the question of the question that we're asking. So why an empty cross? 
An empty cross because Jesus is not dead. Any cross with Jesus still on the cross signifies a dead Jesus. A Jesus who is not alive. We know that we have eternal life yet to come because Jesus is no longer on the cross because the cross is empty. Jesus, the resurrected Redeemer, is not the first to be resurrected, though. Elijah, he prayed, didn't he? We remember this from the Old Testament. He prayed that God would resurrect Zarephath's son. God raised King Jairus' daughter from the dead, too. And let's not forget about most of our favorites, Lazarus. Lazarus was raised up out of the grave now, wasn't he? So Jesus wasn't the first to be resurrected, but here it's telling us that he's the first fruits of about what's about ready to be harvested. And what's going to be harvested? The physical bodies of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus was not the first to be resurrected. But what's significant is this. He's the first to be resurrected who never died again. That's what's significant about him being the first fruits, the resurrection that is for all of eternity, which means the scars that Jesus took to the cross are the same scars that he took from the cross, which means when we see Jesus, his physical body someday, we will see every scar, not only the nail holes from each wrist and his feet, but we're going to see the whipping that he took. We'll see the crown of thorns placed upon his head. And we will have a forever reminder for the rest of eternity of the good news of the gospel message. That's what we're celebrating today. That's how much he loves us. Now, do you notice who Jesus is the first fruits of again? That's right. Those who have fallen asleep. We've covered that. This is the physical body of the believer. Now, you have to be a believer because that's specifically who's being addressed here. Now, our spirit is a different story. See, upon our death, our spirit goes to be with Jesus immediately. But our body stays here. And that physical body will be resurrected upon the second coming of Jesus. Now, we're going to discuss this a little bit further, but brothers and sisters, we need a Redeemer. We can't forget that because in verse 21 it says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The same sin that entered God's creation and was passed down to all humanity from one man to the other, starting with Adam is the same sin that was defeated by one man for all of humanity on the cross. Again, why an empty cross? It's because Jesus didn't stop short of resurrection. Jesus upon the cross is a Christ who stopped short of being resurrected. Now, do not allow the word all to trip you up. The very first pastorate I ever had was a small country church in a small rural community in north central Indiana. The first person who ever left a church that I pastored happened in that church. And the reason why they left was because they had a difference of theological perspective than what 
I had when it came to God's word. They left because they believed that God will save everybody no matter what. They would look at a verse like this and say, look, look what it says. Yeah, sure, in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. This is called universalism. It's a theological framework that says God saves everybody. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, God is so loving, His love is going to conquer everything. But the problem is we know here that the Bible teaches us that God's love comes from His holiness first and foremost. So really what's being said here is this, all are going to die because of what Adam passed on to us. And that's how crafty our enemy is, our, our adversary, the one who actually stole God's creation. He knew if he could get the first two to sin, to give in to temptation, he knew that through the seed, that sin nature would be passed on to the rest of humanity. So, because of one man's action, all will die, but because of one man's action, Jesus on the cross, resurrected Messiah, all may live. Now, who are the all? The all are those who have a saving faith in Him. They aren't those who do not believe in Christ. They are those who have heard the gospel message, who have chosen to repent chosen to turn away from their sin and turn back to God. They are they all. They, we are the all. This is being addressed to us, those who have a saving faith in Christ. That's what the Redeemer has done. Now we look at the redeemed, because we're already starting to bleed into the redeemed now, aren't we? Our God is a God of order. Verse 23, what does it say? Each in his own order. Now we're going to get into the spirit and the bodily resurrection here. Again, if a believer died right here, right now, their spirit would go to be immediately with Jesus, but their physical body would be asleep. And that's those who have fallen asleep that we see here in the text. But that's until his coming. Brothers and sisters, it's like Time Magazine's article. That same article that stated people enjoy movies, books, and other stories more when they know the ending ahead of time. Our spoiler alert is in the first paragraph. That's the one that we bought into. We didn't read the story that had the spoiler in a couple paragraphs over. We didn't read the story that didn't have the spoiler at all. No, we heard the gospel, and the gospel is very clear up front. Your sin will lead to your death. But I left heaven... And Mike did a wonderful job of sharing this today, this morning, when we were singing in worship about God leaving heaven and taking on human form. Going to the cross, was buried, crucified, or crucified, then buried, then resurrected, right? From the grave, showing this empty cross. That message right there, that's what we get up front. So very clearly as a believer, we, we, we know the end game. It's either believe in yourself and your own good works and face death for all of eternity or believe in Jesus and know that there's nothing good in you other than your faith in Christ. There's nothing good in me other than the fact that God has placed His Holy Spirit in me because of my faith in Jesus. That's the gospel message. 
That is what I heard from the beginning. That's our spoiler. God has revealed his sequence of events to us because, again, he's a God of order. God has revealed this order. The godly of all ages, those righteous before the Lord, will be physically resurrected at his coming. So once he comes, they will be physically resurrected. So this is the rapture of his church. This is prior to the seven-year tribulation period. So basically what we're saying is the first resurrection, because there's three resurrections that are being described here. Now, Paul doesn't go into great detail with all three of these resurrections, but the thing that we need to understand is this. The three resurrections can only happen because Jesus first was resurrected, because he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Without him being the first fruits of the resurrection, this won't happen. And everything that we're about ready to say here about these three resurrections, that's the harvest. He's the first fruits of this harvest that's about ready to come. So basically, the first resurrection is for us. Everybody who came to a saving faith in the church age from Pentecost that we see in the book of Acts until he comes right before the seven-year tribulation period, that's the first resurrection that's being described here that we see in the text. Now, the second resurrection is for those who come to a saving faith during the tribulation period. So that seven-year period between the first resurrection and the millennial kingdom, that is the resurrection that's being talked about here, the second one. That's for the tribulation saints, because anybody who is a believer in Christ is considered to be a saint. Now, the third resurrection is of all the Old Testament saints. And this is what's being driven home here. But those who have faith in the salvation that's only offered through God, they are the ones who have fallen asleep. They are the ones who will be resurrected. So again, why an empty cross? Well, because an unresurrected Jesus cannot resurrect his redeemed. Who are his redeemed? Again, Romans 10.9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the spoiler alert. Now, think about that. What are you believing in? You're believing in the fact of everything that we just got done saying. You're believing in the fact that, no, no, there is nothing that I can do on my own to earn God's favor. The only thing I can do is accept the faith that He has given me, this gift, this grace. He's graced us the faith necessary to have the faith in the work that He did upon the cross. And we know that His work is finished. We know that His work is complete because the cross remains empty. Now, as we move on to verses 24 through 28, we've covered the Redeemer, and we've covered the redeemed, those who have a saving faith in Jesus. Now we examine the redemption. A respected pastor asked a series of questions, and I just want to use his questions. There's three questions here, and I'll give you the answer that he gave as well. But he, he asked these questions. He says, do you want to know what the purpose of creation is? What the purpose of redemption is? What the purpose is for God to tolerate everything He has tolerated through all of human history? Think about that last question. The purpose for God to tolerate everything that He has tolerated through all of human history. You know what you take the Holy Spirit through. 
If you have saving faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is residing within you, you know what you make the Holy Spirit have to witness in your own life. So imagine everything that God has had to witness right before him, a holy God, everything throughout human history. And if the answer is, it's right here. It says, it is so that he can give to his son a kingdom made up of people, made up of people like us, who will love Him and worship Him and adore Him and serve Him forever and ever in perfect joy and peace. So we ask the question again, so why an empty cross? I'm just going to read to you the main point of everything that we're seeing in these nine verses. Why an empty cross? Because Jesus is the resurrected Redeemer who redeemed for the redemption of His kingdom. That's why an empty cross. So when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, as it says here in the text, we know that Christ was sent by God to take back from our adversary what rightfully belongs to him. Because again, what did Satan do? What did our adversary do? He knew that if Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation to sin. That sin would be passed on to all of humanity. He took what belonged to God. And God knew that this was going to happen. And God knew what He would have to do in order to take everything back. God still created knowing this fact. He knew He would take on human flesh leave time and space, reside on earth, be crucified, buried, and resurrected so we can be in a relationship with Him. Everything will be restored to how it originally was prior to. Prior to everything that we see. Everything that we knew about God's creation from Genesis 1.1 to about Genesis 3.14. Everything that we knew prior to that will be restored. A period in time we know nothing about. None of us know anything about that period of time. Only thing we've ever known is sin. Everything that we've ever seen is through the perspective of sin. Again, that's the reason why the gospel message is resonating with me is because I know that. And I long for the day that that is no longer the case. I long for the day. See, an empty cross is the spoiler. It spoils the ending. An empty cross tells us that Jesus will fight. It tells us that Jesus will rule. It tells us that Jesus will judge and that He will conquer every opponent, even death itself. Until then, God has put all things, as it says, in subjection under His feet. Everything outside of God Himself, that is, in subjection under His feet. As Joe comes up and we wrap up this morning, brothers and sisters, the Redeemer has redeemed for the redemption of His kingdom. A kingdom within a created heavens and a created earth. A kingdom that will last a long time. 
Isn't that amazing? See, we know this is true from Luke chapter 1, verse 33, where God's word tells us, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can you imagine living in a redeemed environment alongside redeemed humanity? Brothers and sisters, all outside of Christ, all we've ever known is sin. Outside of Christ, all we've ever known is sin. Every relationship that we have, we have to battle through that. But because we know Christ, we can. Because we know Christ, as we studied in Sunday school class this morning, we can find contentment that was found in encouragement in Philippians chapter 4 from Paul. But to live alongside humanity without having to deal with sin, I have no idea what to expect. But from what I know of the Lord, I know it's going to be great. However, it's because of Christ that we'll never know death, and that's what we have to remember. It's because of Christ that we will never know death. Now, that's why an empty cross. An empty cross because of what we stated in our main idea. Because Jesus is the resurrected Redeemer who redeemed for the redemption of His kingdom. He wants to be in relationship with us. That's what we celebrate on Resurrected Sunday. The fact that we have a future forever relationship with our Lord and Savior because of His work. And every time we see a cross, we understand that it's empty, representing that He has done what He said He was going to do. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer as a church is simple. We just want to share the good news. We want to share you with others. I pray that we can encourage each other through our fellowship, through our studying of your word to share our faith in you with those who do not know you so they can be in a forever relationship with you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus because his work has made this prayer and all of our prayers possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.